0: Hello, welcome to another episode. Uh, this one is going to be on my article entitled a few thoughts on MMOs originally released on August 29th, 2022. Uh, this one is a doozy, uh, it is very long, so I am probably pretty much just going to write or sorry, speak exactly what I have written on this blog post, unless I fill. Uh, the real strong need to interject at some point. But with that, we'll go straight into it. Recently, I finished reading the book Designing Virtual Worlds by Richard Bartle. I should uh, address this point right out the gate. I did not actually finish, uh, end up finishing that book. I thought I was going to finish it in time for that article, but I actually didn't, and I forgot to add that line out. Made by the creator of MUD a uh, multi-user dungeon, widely considered to be the first MMO, it goes over best practices for creating a persistent multiplayer experience. One thing I noticed about uh, DVW, right out the gate, which is the name of the book, DVW Designed Virtual Worlds, right out the gate, however, is that it's pretty old. So old, in fact, the book came out just one year before World of Warcraft, the game now considered to be the ultimate template in MMO crafting. This antiquity made me curious, just how much have MMOs changed? A few notes before we start. This blog post was written out of order and was originally designed to be a book review of Design Virtual Worlds. As the post became less and less about the book specifically and more just my general musings about the recent history of MMOs, I decided to change the core topic halfway in. Keep in mind that because of this change, you might might find parts of this post which now refer to it as a review, even though it is not. Bartle refers to these things by a variety of names. Muds, Moos, Mushes, Mucks, etc. Ironically, the term MMO, the one now widely used for these games, does not seem to have existed or existed very loosely when Bartle wrote the book. However, since the term MMO has now become overwhelmingly dominant, I'm just going to use that for the context of this post. Uh, Honestly, there might be newer editions of this book. The copy of DVW I read is a free PDF of the first edition hosted on Bartle's website, and honestly, I didn't bother looking into whether there were further editions. Uh, I did look into it later, I don't think there are. I think he only wrote that first edition. That being said, I don't think that... But he's still active in the industry, I should mention. That being said, I don't think that really affects this post as a whole, other than maybe opening up the discussion to Bartle's views on how things might have changed. With that out of the way, let's dive in. Uh, First section, introducing designing virtual worlds. Surprisingly, most of Bartle's work has stood the test of time. At the very beginning of the work, he lays out what he defines to be the essential elements of an MMO. Number one, the world has an underlying Automated roles that enable the player to effect changes to it Number two the players represent individuals in the world Number three interaction with the world takes place in real time Number four the world is shared and number five the world is at least to some extent persistent These elements still check out for MMOs to this day for example, World of Warcraft has automated rules, players as individuals, real time gameplay, and a shared and persistent world. About 99% of MMOs hit all five of these points, and all of them hit at least one. Yet the world of MMOs which Bartle spoke of was very different. As I mentioned, this was written before a while when the most popular MMO at the time was EverQuest, the original EverQuest, I might add, not EverQuest 2. MMOs were still for hardcore traditionalist gamers and had advanced and complex mechanics needed to satiate them. Unfortunately, as the market for games got bigger, this would become more of a hindrance than a help. Next section, Lord British Fell Off, or the end of old-school. Since designing designing virtual worlds was written so early on, it separates the worlds of MMOs into approximately five eras. 90% of which take place during the old text-based generation. Obviously, a lot of time has passed since all of that, and history has dilated, as it does. So I'm going to suggest five new eras in its stead. Number one, the Mud Era, the text-based era which Bartle, for the most part, lived in. Number two, the Ultima Online Era, the era marked by the dominance of Ultima Online and the beginning of visual-based MMOs. Number three, the EverQuest Era, the era marked by the dominance of EverQuest and Proto-Wow-likes. This era was ending right as Designing Virtual Worlds was written. Number four, the Wow Era, the era marked by the dominance of World of Warcraft and the opening of MMOs into the broader market. This era was beginning right as Designing Virtual Worlds was being written. And number five, the Final Fantasy XIV Era. This era was marked by the dominance of Final Fantasy XIV Online in a world where it is not quite as cool to run an MMO anymore. This is the era that we're in now. Unfortunately, one of the sadder parts of reading Designing Virtual Worlds is seeing all the once-household names that ended up falling to the wayside. Turbine, while it did see some years of success with Dungeons and Dragons Online and Lord of the Rings Online, is now mostly thought of as a zombie, which every couple of years people say, wow, they still exist, and move on. Richard Garriott, aka Lord British, who created the first truly successful MMO with uh, Ultima Online, tried his hand only one more time at MMO crafting with Tabula Rasa, which subsequently failed. As of 2022, he is currently working on an NFT game. Yikes, how the mighty has fallen. Perhaps one semblance of old school's remaining strength lies in RuneScape. Yes, the game that, having been released in 2001, was so unpopular at the time that it did not even receive a mention in Bartle's textbook. RuneScape's true heyday was during the same time as WoW's, where players who yearned for that classic experience got something that was easy to understand, yet still had the freedom of those older games. And sure enough, RuneScape still has that place in people's hearts to this day, this time in the reincarnation of, funnily enough, old school runescape. Next section, the WoW era. World of Warcraft, of course, is arguably what caused the death of old school. It was a fundamental shift towards the casualization of the genre, both for good and for bad. I think few people will argue against the facts that WoW's first three iterations, Vanilla, The Burning Crusade, and Wrath of the Lich King, are some of the best MMO experiences ever designed. WoW did two major things that broke away from the old school formula. The first was that it stripped down a lot of mechanics in favor of instant gratification. You're always getting fancy level up proclamations, always getting new gear, always gaining new skills that give off cool new effects. The reason for this change leads into the second focus, the focus on end game content. For most of us modern players, it's hard for us to remember a world where Endgame wasn't the focus, with the exception of Final Fantasy XIV, but we'll get to that. The idea of ignoring all the early content just to get the max level as soon as possible is a depressing notion, but in a lot of ways it makes sense. For example, it's a lot easier to balance stats if everybody happens to be on the same level anyway. It also makes a lot of sense lore-wise for everyone to have the same cool, crazy armors and weapons only after they've mastered all the other content. Now, take in mind while these changes might seem negative, this isn't actually an indictment of WoW. In fact, I much rather prefer the mechanics of WoW to what older games did. All games are essentially a balancing act between making it easier for people to play and adding complex actions that make the game immersive and fun. Traditional MMOs learned a bit too far into, uh, leaned a bit too far into the realm of complexity. What WoW did was restore the balance. Of course, with WoW's popularity came to popularity for the genre in general, and you know that there were plenty of companies out there that wanted to take a slice of the cake. I'm going to take a brief break for water cup sipping. Uh, classic water, big water fan. Anyway, the next section, Rehashing Ideas and the Fall of WoW-Killers. Early on in designing virtual worlds, Bartle makes a deeply foreshadowing remark. Uh, It's a rather long quote, but I will read it because it's relevant to the topic. And it's from Bartle. Some designers look too hard at what has gone before. To use some admired virtual world as a prototype is fine if you fully understand that world, but very limiting if you don't. A designer whose major experience of virtual worlds is EverQuest might, for example, think oh, what character classes should we have in our new game rather than should we have character classes in our new game at all? Some of the more basic assumptions go right back to Mud one, with few designers even realizing that there are assumptions, let alone that they can be questioned. That can't be right. Now going back into my stuff, in fact, Bartle brings up similar points a lot throughout DVW. Like, a lot. Well, if DVW was ever required rating for MMO Crafting 101, a lot of people must have skipped class because the ten or so years after WoW's inception were marred by look-alikes. Mockingly referred to as WoW killers, these games claimed the lofty and ambitious features, while at the end of the day being nothing more than a glorified copy of WoW. While there are too many to list out, four are of particular note. Guild Wars, Rift, Aeon, and Star Wars The Old Republic, or Tor as it is more commonly referred to. Out of all these games, I'm willing to give the most benefit of the doubt to Guild Wars, as number one, it made a decent attempt to differentiate itself, and number two, it is the only one of these four games that is still alive and still has a healthy user base. Guild Wars was originally released in 2005 and had a somewhat less successful sequel being released in 2012. As the name implies, the game had a unique focus on PvP, with a wide variety of competitive modes available, including the legendary World v World mode. In addition, the game's story, albeit not very good, had its own voice within the game, playing out more like a single player campaign. Once again, we'll get to Final Fantasy XIV when we're ready. All in all, the game does have its strong points, but in my opinion, leans more towards the side of a WoW-like than a truly experimental MMO. On the other hand, we have Tor. Tor is perhaps the most notorious of the WoW killers. Uh, built with the full backing of Electronic Arts and the Star Wars brand name, more specifically the Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic brand name, this game was hyped to hell and back as the game to finally deframe WoW. Unfortunately, it landed when consumer sentiment for Electronic Arts was at an all-time low. It, surprisingly, one worst company of the year four years in a row, uh, only to be defroned, I think by Bank of America, and people were beginning to lose faith in Bioware after its horrid. No, sorry, it got defronted by Ubisoft, which is even funnier. Um, and people were beginning to lose faith in Bioware after its horrid showing with Mass Effect Three. As it turns out, people's fears were founded. Tor turned out to be nothing more than WoW with a coat of Star Wars Wars painted on. This game did did improve in later years, focusing more on its differentiation and storytelling, but lately its players have dwindled and appears to be on its way out. And finally, we have Rift and Aeon. Rift and Aeon were both big on their initial releases, but are now mostly lost to time. Rift was perhaps the most direct competitor to WoW, and in many cases just claimed to be WoW, but better. To be fair, in some ways it was. I still hold a soft spot for Rift, and its eponymous Rift system, which was later copied by WoW, uh, I believe in WoW Legion was the one that uh, copied Rift's, was a genuinely neat idea. Aeon, meanwhile, was NCSoft's uh, biggest attack on the WoW's success. NCSoft, which has been a publisher of many successful MMOs, including Guild Wars, uh, put together their resources on Aeon as a way of becoming a self-made uh, WoW killer. And it's worth noting that NCSoft purchased the rights to Guild Wars. Uh, Guild Wars is made by ArenaSoft, or sorry, ArenaNet, which is a, a American company, but NCSoft is based in South Korea. Aeon is the South Korea core dev team for NCSoft, being their own game, which is why I differentiate those. And in the end, the game was forgettable. So forgettable that I checked the Wikipedia page to remind me what its major features were, and I still don't remember anything about it. Uh, I think you could, like, fly and that's about it. Uh, Such that you can fly from the beginning, I should say. Whereas usually you have to unlock flying later. Such is the fate of those MMOs who tried to beat the king. The next section is called The Curse of Sci-Fi MMOs. I want to make a digression here to talk about something that doesn't quite follow chronologically. At some point in DVW, Richard Bartle mentions three franchises that would work perfectly as MMOs. Star Wars, Star Trek, and Lord of the Rings. Oh Richard, if only you knew. To his credits, all three of these franchises would eventually get their own MMO games. Uh, out of all of them, only Star Wars Galaxies was under development at the time that the book was released. Yet despite their seemingly perfect fits, all failed to gain considerable market share. Why is that? Well, for LOTRO, Lord of the Rings on- Online, uh, there doesn't seem to be anything besides bad luck. The game was released at around the same time as the much more popular Dungeons & Dragons Online made by the same developer, and that likely took away from its success. But what happened with Star Wars Galaxies and Star Trek Online, two huge properties with massive budgets and a community that is heavily engaged? Well, Star Wars Galaxies uh, marked what may refer to as a curse among science fiction MMOs. At the time of, re- time of release of DVW, sci fi MMOs seemed to live a healthy existence. But as the games went from text and 2D perspectives to a much richer 3D world, These games seem to collapse in favor of a fantasy setting. The obvious finger to point seems to be with the ambition of sci fi versus fantasy. Instead of a small traditional sci fi, or a small traditional fantasy world, you're dealing with a whole solar system of planets, races, starships, etc., etc. And with that added content comes added costs, added costs which, given the already heavy expenses of a live-service game can be too unfeasible to do properly. Of course, that hasn't stopped people from trying. I've already mentioned Tor, which in many ways is the spiritual successor to Star Wars Galaxies, and we already know how that turned out. And while on the topic of sci-fi MMOs with huge budgets, Destiny is also worth mentioning. The game is still played, but its original scope and funding was significantly reduced, than the multi-billion dollar project it was meant to be. Warframe is a sci-fi game that is still going strong, but missing many of Bartle's key criteria and has seen more of a multiplayer character action game than anything else. Ironically, the only sci-fi MMO that has seen widespread success is the one that Bartle mentions only offhandedly and as an example of a failure, Fantasy Star Online. To Bartle's credit, he was referring to the first game, its sequel was the one that saw the widespread acclaim. Uh, so there's a very small mention in, in DVW where he's like, oh, yeah, Fantasy Star Online, uh, you know, those those anime people, you know, yeah, nobody really wants to play an anime game, which I feel like uh, just that context in general is is very, very ironic, speaking that the two most popular MMOs in the past couple of years, Fantasy Star Online 2, which is the sequel of the game that he bashed in the first one, and then, of course, Final Fantasy fourteen, which we're going to get into just the next section, um, ultimately was the one who ended up defroning all of this Western MMO stuff. It's also worth noting that for the most part, I think Bartle's book was written before uh, Eastern dominance on the MMO market. So I just talked about NCSoft, um, a lot of the Korean MMO companies, and then also of course in Japan with Square Enix and, and Final Fantasy XIV. I don't think they really existed back when Bartle wrote this, which is interesting. Next section, the Final Fantasy XIV era. Out of all the eras we previously discussed, the newest one, which marks the dominance of Final Fantasy XIV online, is the strangest. First of all, really no one could have predicted Final Fantasy XIV's success for decades. As Bartle mentions, Final Fantasy XI, which would have been released by the time that Bartle uh, made his book, uh, was a moderate success but nothing to write home about in terms of comparison to the releases of Western games like EverQuest, World of Warcraft, or even Star Wars Galaxies. Combine that with the fact that Final Fantasy XIV was a horrid failure on launch, you could really only expect—or uh, you could have really only expected any sort of success from it—at earliest upon the release of a Realm Reborn, three years after the initial XIV launch, and ten years after designing Virtual Worlds. Final Fantasy 14 takes almost every idea that Bartle says makes up a virtual world and throws it in a dumpster. For starters, Final Fantasy 14 treats its game like a very long single-player RPG with an optional multiplayer elements, a, a system which they have only uh, doubled down on since. They have notoriously said that they don't care too much about people uh, staying subscribed, recommending that people only subscribe for major story and content updates, Um, A big focus on Bartle was that you always have to keep people subscribed in order for your uh, MMO to be successful. Uh, And even then, a good chunk of the game is entirely free-to-play. There's also no real focus on PvP, the cornerstone for many MMOs in the past, and most of the content is completely cooperative. Uh, there, There is PvP that exists within Final Fantasy XIV online, but I think virtually every Final Fantasy XIV player will agree that it's not the major focus. And yet, out of all the games, it was Final Fantasy XIV that won and finally dethroned uh, World of Warcraft. Why? Well, for starters, we'd be fools to say that wasn't at least partially WoW's own fault. Over the years, the MMO began to get into the extreme end of casualization, trying too hard and too desperately to gather as large of an audience as possible. This alienated a lot of its already existing fan base while new players were overwhelmed by the large amount of hacked-on features that were created over time. Final Fantasy XIV just happened to come at a time where this mass migration hit its critical point. Yet there are a lot of MMOs on the market, and to say that Final Fantasy XIV's success beyond all the others was just pure luck leaves something to be desired. One reason that potentially explains things is that Final Fantasy XIV fit with the culture of modern audiences. WoW was built by engineering-minded nerds who lived in their mother's basement, while Zoomers are feelings oriented art kids who live in their mother's living room. Many of these newer-gen folk came to WoW, got confused as to why someone was telling them to kill themselves after failing to pull them popular uh, properly, and then subsequently went to Final Fantasy XIV. There are a lot of theories as to why Final Fantasy XIV is culturally different from WoW. One of my favorites is from Jesse Cox, who makes this distinction. WoW is inherently player versus player, or competitive, whereas Final Fantasy XIV is inherently player versus enemy, or cooperative. In Final Fantasy XIV, competing against other living people is virtually non-existent. Like I said, PvP is not a big focus. And when it does happen, it's usually put in a sports-like friendly competition sort of fashion. That's how it works within the lore of the story of Final Fantasy XIV. In Warcraft, the entire game, both its story and its gameplay, revolves around people fighting and killing each other for honor and glory. You choose either Alliance or Horde, and the context of the game is that Alliance and Horde are two factions that have been warring with each other for decades and decades. I think another reason for the cultural difference and why the newer generation attaches to it is Final Fantasy's, and stick with me here, metrosexuality. I've already mentioned why Zoomers of the present are different from the Boomers of the past. While older generations thrived on semi-realistic fantasy tales told in homogenized settings with white male protagonists, the newer generation have craved for much more flavor. Part of that is because they are much more diverse themselves, for sure, but I think another part is that they are just tired of it. They want to see what else is out there. Final Fantasy wants a game for ultra-fringe weirdos who even Warcraft fans didn't interact with. Seems like the perfect ticket. The world of Final Fantasy is colorful, abstract, and weird. Its characters blend together in gender, race, and identity, it is a story of friendship, of overcoming odds, and not of war and glory. It's an adventure, but a different kind of adventure. An adventure that just so happens to now be in vogue. But perhaps the biggest takeaway of the Final Fantasy 14 era is how far MMOs have fallen in popularity. Yes, it's true, Final Fantasy XIV's player count did surpass WoW, and has surpassed WoW into the future. But even this number is minuscule compared to a wide array of other multiplayer games, Fortnite, League of Legends, Among Us, etc. There's still room for MMOs, billions of dollars worth, but it's now become more of a niche than uh, than the craze it was during the WoW days. In other words, we're just back to the way it was when designing virtual worlds was written, a niche genre to play around and have fun in. So that finishes that doozy. Uh, This has been probably twice as long as any of the other blog posts, and my voice is uh, twice as parched, so I'm going to finish this off as soon as I possibly can. Thank you for watching. In the description below, you can read the original article as well as see where else I have been on in the internet, and I will see you in the next one.